0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Amen. You guys can go ahead and grab a seat and let's pray. We've got to pray right now. Lord, uh, we ask that you would speak to us now, that you would be moving powerfully. God, that song that we just sang... That we- how could we keep from, from shouting your praise? How can we keep from, from speaking your name and from singing? Because in all things, you are with us. You are guiding us. You are here and you are working in our lives. And God, we come back with our words, with our songs. We give you uh, this time. We give you our lives. Would you open our ears to hear the truth of what you call us into? What that looks like and where you are in the picture? Lord, would you help me to get out of your way so that my friends here could hear from you clearly. Lord, we want to know you more. Lord, would you make both our song and our words and our actions uh, more closely connected to you when we leave this place than when we came, because we experienced you, the living God. Amen. Amen. Man, I am so excited that you're here today. You are such a fun group of people to get to see and to look at each week. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, I just want to introduce myself to you a little bit in hopes that you could know me and maybe give me some freedom to speak into your life. And then I want to meet you so uh, that you can speak to my life because the Bible says that together we engage with God more than we could on our own. And so uh, hopefully something I say will connect with you and help you experience God. And I know that something you say will probably help me experience God. Uh, So I've been here for a few years. I'm married to uh, Maria, who was on the keyboard, and she's, she's just amazing. She, uh, is, she has seven weeks to go until our son comes, and we're going to have a little boy on March 7th, uh, Lord willing, or actually, hopefully, end of February, if you ask Maria. So uh, it's very exciting for us, and we have a two-year-old daughter named Maddie, and uh, we just love being part of this community, and I hope that you do as well. Uh, if you're new here, I'd love to meet you afterwards. So would you come so we could get to know each other a little bit? I'd love to hear your story. I'd love to know your family or just know what brought you to to this place on this day because I think God has something for you today. Uh, Also, what we're trying to do, because people keep coming into our community, and it's a great thing, Uh, the community of God should always be growing, should always be expanding. Uh, Jesus says that the community of God is like this mustard seed that starts out really small and then just expands and gets really big. And and so we start small. We started 14 years ago and some change maybe. Maybe in a house, and now we're here. We've been in probably 13, 14 different locations, uh, and we are growing, and God is drawing us in, and we want to get to know you. So uh, every once in a while, we do what we call our leadership meet and greet, which is basically just after service, we have some some donuts, some extra coffee, and we want to get to know you, the staff and the senior leadership of the church. And this time, we're actually going to invite all of our life group leaders Uh, to come out and meet you guys next Sunday after service. So whether you come to first service or second service, if you would just make a few extra minutes to stick around, uh, we'll have some snacks for you. We just want to meet you. You'll know who the folks are because they'll have little uh, laminated name badges like this uh, which says who they are and kind of what they do around the church. And then if they're a life group leader, it tells you which group they're in. And our leaders are actually wearing these all month long. So if you want to know who your life group leader is, look for their tag and you can get to know them that way. But I, I want to encourage you and invite you, please think about sticking around for a few minutes after service next week. Uh, 12.30 is not too late to eat donuts. So make sure that you, uh, that you do that. And we'll try to keep your kids away from them so they don't get all sugar rushed up before you send them home for nap time. Uh, or maybe before we send you home for nap time. I don't know. Let's wake up today. This is going to be a good morning. God has some amazing things for us. Uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. If you're like me, and I know that you all are, you're big Bears fans. You know the Bears are playing right now. Uh, but we came because we experienced a living God, and he is even bigger than the Bears. Uh, and if you're Seahawks fans, you know, I'll pray for you. I, I don't know what to tell you. I know the score of the game right now, but I won't share that with you. But you see this. So... We are in a series called Level 4 Living, Uh, and really what we're talking about in this Level 4 series is what does it look like to give myself completely to God, Uh, to say with my actions and to say with my words, God, would your kingdom come and would your will be done here on this earth, here in Petaluma, here at my job, here in our world, just like it's done in heaven. God, with the things of heaven Uh, of perfection, the things where there's no more crying and no more pain and no more hurt, would those begin to manifest in my life? Would I begin to live in such a way that those things would come to pass in other people's lives? And we're all on some sort of spiritual journey, so we've got this continuum up here. We've highlighted four levels. First level is exploring Christ, where you would say, I don't know if I believe, I don't know if there is a God, but there's something out there. Maybe you say, I'm spiritual, I'm a spiritual person, or I believe there's some sort of reality beyond myself, beyond what I can experience with my five senses. And that brought you here today. Uh, The next step would be growing in Christ, where you could just say, I believe there's a God. Uh, I believe that Jesus is God and that he revealed himself uniquely in Jesus and showed us what it means to be in a relationship with him. That's that point of conversion where you could come into a relationship with God. And then step three would be close to Christ where we're beginning to turn a lot of things over to God. God, I know that you call me not just to certain parts of my life, but you want all of my life. So I'm in this process of giving things over to you. As they come up, I begin to, uh, to put them before you, trusting that you will do something amazing with them. And then uh, Christ-centered. And I put the little marker there because that's really where we want to be. It's not uh, that, that we're saying you're bad if you're somewhere else, but where we want to be in our lives as followers of Jesus is Christ-centered. Where we could say, everything I am, everything I have is yours. Now, it doesn't mean we have figured it all out, but when God reveals something new to us, if it doesn't line up with the way we've been living or the things that we know to be true, we don't say, well, then God must be wrong. We say, well, then maybe I'm missing something and God is right. And we begin to live out the things of God. So every area of our lives, God is at the center of that. That he, uh, his things and his ways and his words, they are kind of in our head all the time and they're swirling around and our lifestyles reflect that completely. That's where we want to move into as we go through the series. And we're in it for about another 11 weeks, talking about different areas of our life and what it means to be level four in those areas. In your programs, there's some notes that say teaching notes. And on it, I believe it says something like level four living freedom from fear. But the more I prayed about this sermon uh, yesterday and was, was prepping to be with you guys, the more I thought, you know, that's just not the right, the right phrase. I want to call it level four love. So just cross out freedom from fear and just write love in there. Because The way that God calls us to love ultimately is about freedom from fear, but really we're talking about loving like God loved, experiencing life. The way that we see Jesus experiencing life. And it's a risky life, and it's a life that challenges us to get outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zones. But we want to be people who are level four lovers, who really engage with God in the action of loving people. So we're going to talk in a few minutes, as we look at at 1 John, we're going to talk about what it means to love. What does it mean when God says that he is love, and that he came to love us, and that we should love one another. And then we're going to look at how that plays out practically. Uh, But to do that, we need to start by talking about fear. Uh, Fear of pain, fear of uh, what other people think about us or say about us, fear of security. We have fears for just about everything. Uh, I looked online, I googled, and I found something like 580 different phobias that have been documented. And a phobia is just something that is an irrational fear, although if you have the phobia, it doesn't feel irrational. But it's an irrational fear that causes you to pull back, to freeze up, causes you to run away scared. Basically, it takes you out of the game. And we have phobias of just about everything. Whether we call it a phobia or not, fear takes us out of the game of life. And God doesn't want you out of the game. God wants you in the game. He created you for a unique purpose to have a part and a role to play in this story that he's writing. And so we have to talk about, how do I get out of that fear? How do I move beyond that? Because fear and love are incompatible. The truth is, there's a lot to be afraid of in the world. On Wednesday night, I believe it was Wednesday, I was watching the uh, memorial service for the individuals in Arizona who were massacred a few weeks before uh, when they were listening to a public official speak and a man just came out with a gun and just started shooting. And oh man, I cried and cried when they talked about the nine-year-old girl who died, who was there with her parents just at Safeway. And, and she got shot and killed. And there's a lot to be afraid of. There really is. Having a little girl, I know that. We're afraid for our family's safety. We're afraid of the economy. We're afraid of our job security. There's a lot to be Afraid of. And you know what? If you don't know God, you're right to be afraid. Ultimately, of death. Death is the ultimate thing that we're afraid of. And if we don't know God, then then fear is the only natural response to that. And so, what do we do? We try to protect ourselves, we try to minimize risk, we try to build safety, we put a bubble around ourselves, we get locks on our doors and deadbolts, and we make sure that everyone is in the right place at the right time uh, because the world is dangerous and we have 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and then that's it if we don't know God. And so we have to ask ourselves, what does it mean to know God, and how can I experience him in a very real way? Right before Thanksgiving, I got a call from a gal in our church who's a friend of mine, and her neighbor, uh, her neighbor's mother was, was dying, was in the last stages of life, and actually the doctor said that she should have already passed on at that point, uh, but neither of them went to church, but she knew that this, this friend of mine went to New Life, so she said, Hey, could your pastor come talk to my mom uh, just to give her some comforting words? And I'd never done this before. I'm fairly young, uh, I'm new to pastoral things, and Ron normally does that because he's like the picture of pastoral, right? I mean, that's Ron, that's what he does. And so they called for Ron, but Ron was gone, and so they, they got the second guy, the B team. But that's, you know, she didn't know any different but I was scared. I really was. And so I started to pray, God, would you, would you give me words to speak? I don't know this woman, uh, but I know you know her and you love her. I don't know her story. I don't know if she knows you or doesn't know you, but you know. And so I went to her and she was laying in a, a bed. They had brought a hospital bed in and she couldn't talk very well. Her tongue was swollen up and, uh, but she could, she could kind of motion to me. And, and so as we got to talk, I said, uh, are you ready to die? And she said, yes, she really was. She was in pain and, and hurting, and it was a struggle just to breathe, and she couldn't really move. And I said, are you, do you know where you're going? She said, no. I said, are you afraid? And she said, yeah. She really was scared. I could see in her eyes. She was terrified. Uh, I said, well, do you have any sort of faith? And, and she said, no. And her daughter explained to me, she's, she's a spiritual person. She, has, she believes in a God. She always has. And I said, well, can I tell you about the God that you have been groping for, grabbing for, touching at, but you, you haven't come to meet yet. And I began to tell her about Jesus, this God who became flesh, who came to give his life for her so that she could have relationships, so that she could be with God in this life and then into the next. And I said, do you want to know that God? And she said, yes. And so we prayed and she gave her life to Christ in those last moments. And you could see the fear just leave. It really did. It melted away. I got to go back a few days later and pray with her again as uh, she had still was, was here in the world. Um, and it was just this powerful moment. The fear had left her, and peace had replaced it. And then a few days later, she passed, she passed away to go and be with God. But if we don't know God, then there's a very real reason to be afraid. And I don't say that um, in kind of like, hey, heaven, hell, you know. I, I heard about this evangelist who used to take um, a lighter, and he'd hold it under someone's hand, like, is that hot? Well, hell is even hotter. I'm not talking about that, okay? That's kind of crazy. I'm not trying to to be crazy. But the reality is if we don't know God, if we don't walk with God in this life, then we will not walk with God in the next life. And so this life is all we have. And so we should insulate ourselves. We should protect ourselves. We should be safe. The problem is if we do know God and we still live that way, we are not living with God. Because the Bible says that Jesus is love. He shows us what love is. That he came and he gave his life away to love people. And his love was risky love. His love was anything but secure. And his love was anything but safe. His love was anything but a bubble of protection. It was risky love. And then he says, now go and do like I do. Go and be like I am. I showed you what love is. And now you've known me. You've been with me. So go and live love. And that's the kind of life that's level four love. That's the life that God calls us to. It is risky love and fear and love cannot occupy the same space. When fear takes over, love fades away. But when love begins to take over, fear begins to fade away. And so we want to talk about letting the fear fade away and experiencing love. See, God calls us into a life of transforming love and transforming love involves risk. Those of you who got married know what I'm talking about. Uh I was talking to a friend of mine named Matt before I got engaged and he said when you before you get married, just go in eyes open. Maria seems like a great gal, but go in with your eyes open. You know, figure out what she's like, get to know her character. Uh, don't commit to anything until you know a little bit, uh, because I'm impetuous. We're gonna talk about a guy named Peter, he's impetuous, man, I'm impetuous. I literally I met Marie and I was like, oh this is it, you know, my heart, I just oh, she's the best. Um he said, just get to know her. Are your plans the same? Are your passions the same? Is your vision the same? He said, and then once you've decided that you know enough about her character and you get married, he said, then shut your eyes completely. Which was good advice. Right? It's okay. You don't have to laugh, guys, because I want you to get in trouble. He didn't mean stop experiencing my wife. He didn't mean stop getting to know my wife. What, What he meant was you're not looking for a way out at that point. You've committed yourself, for better or for worse, till death do you part. You've jumped in fully and committed. See, when we get married and half of us is on the married side and half of us stays on our single side or, or on like, hey, I could get out. I could divorce happens. People get divorced all the time. We set ourselves up for failure. But God, uh, when he designed marriage, said jump in completely. You won't know everything. I didn't know she likes to get up early. She knew I liked to sleep in. She just didn't tell me she likes to get up early. But that's another conversation. Uh, <laughs> But that's not a deal breaker. I knew her character. These are things I learned about her on the outside, but I knew her enough to commit. And the life that God calls us to is a life where we would say, you know what? I know God well enough, his character, his essence, his core. I know it well enough to fully commit myself to him. I don't know all the answers. I haven't memorized the Bible. I don't know what exactly it's going to mean, but I am giving myself completely to God. That's level four living. If we don't do that, then we're, stri- we're on the fence. We're back and forth. We can't experience the full life that God wants for us. The question becomes, who do I put my trust in? Who do I put my faith in? Is it in myself? Is it in my job? Is it in my family, my kids? Is it in my security, my, my wealth? Or is it in God? Because to the extent that it's in anything other than God, we have reason to be afraid and we will not experience the full life that God has for us. So we're trying to move to this place of, of fullness in life. We're trying to move to a place where we can say, I want to love like you loved even though it's risky. Uh, John says it this way in 1 John chapter 4. He says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If we skip down to verse 18, it continues to say, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. I want to unpack that a little bit. Uh, He says fear has to do with punishment. So you can't have fear and love at the same time. The author's talking about our eternity. He's talking about death. He says you should fear death because death has to do with punishment. If you've lived apart from God in this life, you live apart from him in the next. So all you have is these 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. But if you know God, you don't have to fear even death. Even the ultimate thing that we fear no longer needs to be feared. And if we don't have to fear the ultimate, if we don't have to fear death, what else do we have to fear? What can the world do to us besides kill us? That's the last thing the world can do is take our lives from us, take our breath from us, and it frees us when we know love, when we know God. It frees us to live the kind of life that God has for us. John says we know love by two things. One, that God sent his only son so that we could live, that we could have life here and now and in eternity. And two, that his son was a sacrifice for our sins, that God put on flesh, that he gave himself over to us so that we could know what love looks like. Love looks like going from heaven, coming to earth, going from a place where angels are worshiping you, uh, where everything is perfect, going to a place where you're misunderstood, where you're hurt, where you're beaten, where you're nailed to a cross, and where you die one of the most gruesome deaths in the world so that others would know God. God. That's what love is. The word love in the original language that the New Testament is written in is the word agape. And agape means to put the needs of someone else in front of your own. And I like that definition of love. I want to love my wife like that. I want to love my friends like that. I want to love you like that. See, what God did when he showed his love is that he put himself, he put us, the needs of of us, in front of himself. He did what was best for us, even though we didn't realize it. And that's good news for us, right? Let's get up out of your chair and sing and dance and worship. How can I keep from singing your praise? I see it on your faces. You guys are, are fired up. This is good news for us. This is really, really good. This is like stand up, give it all to God. Good for us. But it was risky for God. Do you ever think about that? To come to earth was risky for God. And the risk was that we would reject him. That we wouldn't accept the invitation to come. That his life would be wasted because certain people would not embrace him. And the truth is that happened. But love that transforms always involves a risk. And Jesus showed us that when he came to the earth. He gave himself for us in life and in death, risking our rejection, but wanting our love back, wanting our acceptance back. Or Maybe I could put it this way. The risk that Jesus gave was that we might actually acknowledge him, but then not let it transform our lives. That we could say, yeah, I believe in you, God. Yeah, I know you, God. Yeah, I come to church on Sundays, God. But it doesn't actually do anything in my life. That's actually a big risk as well. That we would be Christ followers in name only, but not in action. But he said, you're worth it. Even if if, if only one of you comes, you're worth it. Even if only that person comes to know me and really experience me, it's worth it. I want to do it. And so before we go into what it looks like to walk this out, what it looks like to be people who are risky lovers, I actually want us to stop and celebrate communion together. Because communion is that time when we say, God, you came and loved me, and that's the only way I can go out and love others. God, you came and you gave yourself for me, and that's the only way that I can give myself for others. Because apart from you, I should be afraid. I I really should. I shouldn't do things for other people. I should just get mine. I should take care of my family, and I should live 50, 60, 70 years in comfort, and then die. But with you, I don't have to be afraid. I can give myself away. And so the ushers are going to prepare communion. Now we're going to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice that Jesus says is my uh, my body and it's my blood and I poured it out for you and I'm broken for you so that you can come and know God and don't have to fear death. And that's the great invitation. If you're here this morning and you've never come into a relationship with God, what better time than now? God doesn't want you to live in fear. Death is the ultimate fear. God doesn't want you to fear death. God wants to be in relationship with you so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt whose you are and who you are and what your life is about. And it's about knowing God and being known by God. So if you've never come into a relationship with God, you can take these elements and you can just pray, God, would you come and would you lead me on this journey? You can start that right now, today. If you're not ready for that, that's okay. Just let the, the trays pass you by, but reflect on the fact that this God that we're talking about is the only God in the history of the world who actually came and gave himself for his people. He's not distant. He is here. He does want to know you. And for those of us who know God, we should be praising him and thanking him and then asking, what does it mean to love like you loved? And so that's the question I want to leave you with through communion. Let's pray. God, show us what it means to love like you loved, to, to be about your business, to be a reflection of you in this world. Uh, would you show us, uh, even now, before we get into fears and before we get into what this looks like, would you show us uh, if there are places where we actually are fearful, where we are afraid, where we are being sidelined, Uh, whether they're by big fears or small fears, irrational fears or fears that are very real. Would you show us what they are so that we could let go of those and actually see you and experience the life that you have for us? Uh, We ask now, Lord, as we take this communion, that you would help us to remember and celebrate your sacrifice and that we would not minimize it, but would live out your sacrifice in our lives. Amen. after we give ourselves to God, uh, we come into relationship with him, there's still plenty of rotten stuff in the world. How many of you uh, came to know God with someone telling you something like, man, when you give your life to Jesus, he takes away all your sins, and it left you with the idea that then things are perfect. Things are better. You don't have to worry anymore. Friends, you were lied to. That's just not true. There are still hard things in life. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you know that it does not make the world perfect the minute you give your life to Christ. It does secure your relationship with God. It means that God is with you both here and in the next life, which means you don't have to fear the world. That's why John says the worst thing that the world can do is bring death, but through God, you don't have to fear death. Because guess what? There is still going to be pain. There's still going to be uncertainty, There's still going to be things that scare the heck out of us. But we don't need to fear them because we don't even have to fear the ultimate, which is death. And one day we will all die. uh, Short of the Lord coming back, we're all going to die at some point. Whether you're 10 or 90, it's coming. But we don't have to fear it. We can live without that. We can live experiencing God. It's not that fear disappears, but that God comes into focus. And when God comes into focus, the fear kind of fades away. Fear is still there. Uncertainty is still there. Pain is still there. And difficult situations are still around. But when our focus becomes God, these other things begin to fade into the backdrop. Things like your personal safety. You don't ask questions like, is this safe? You ask questions like, God, is this what you're calling me to? God, I see that person on the street, and I know if I pulled over to give them some money or some food or something, there's some risk involved in that. But the question is not, is that safe? The question is, God, do you want me to go talk to that person? I can't guarantee that it will be safe. I can't guarantee that they won't take advantage of you, but I can guarantee that if God is calling you to it, God will walk with you in the process. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear people. You can love people. Some of the most transformational people in the history of the world have been people who said, you know what, I am going to love like Christ loved and not let fear overtake me. Were their lives easy? No. Were their lives lives of purpose? No. That had meaning and significance? Absolutely. That's the kind of life God wants for us. I I love a story in Matthew chapter 14 about Jesus' interaction with his disciples on a boat uh, because it centers on Jesus and this guy named Peter. And I like Peter because he says a lot of stupid stuff and gets his foot in his mouth a lot. And I resonate with him. And uh, maybe you do as well. We'll see. But this is the story that I want to talk about for the rest of our time together this morning. In verse 22, it says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while he dismissed the crowds. Uh, he had just fed somewhere between five and 20,000 people. When you count up all the families together, it was this miracle that Jesus did. This amazing thing. And he sends his disciples, his followers, these guys who have been with him, in a boat. He says, go to the other side, uh, inferring I'll meet you there at some point. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. He wanted to get his focus back on, on God, back where it needed to be. It was a big day and he was going to connect with God. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So there's this storm that comes up, and we can assume it's a big storm because at least four of the guys on this boat were fishermen. They had been in these lakes, they knew the weather, and if they couldn't get across the lake because of the storm, it was a big storm. And and so they're out in the water, and it's uh, just before dawn, about three or four a.m. it says in verse 25, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. Freaky. Uh, that's, maybe you guys can't read that. That's, that's what it says in the original language. It says freaky. Uh, just like that. Verse 26. I know it says that because when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone walking on the lake in a storm. I'd be terrified too. They cried out in fear. Jesus said to them immediately, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. See, they, they, they thought that it was a ghost. There's this ghost walking out to them. There's this storm and, and up above the waves and then down and there's this ghost coming. Why are they afraid? Because they don't know who the heck this is that's coming out to them. They don't know what it is. They know there's this big storm and they can't get out of it. And Now there's this ghost coming at them and it was pop- popular kind of mythology at the time that there were ghosts that would come and they would get you and... Uh, And they're terrified, and Jesus says, do not be afraid. It is I. He says, it's me. It's Jesus. It's God. I'm with you. When we follow God, uh, on some level, we need to expect scary times. We, We need to. We should just expect it, even though God is with us. It's just part of life. God never promised that it would be easy. He just said, I'll be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. Look for me. I'm there. Is it hard? Are things uncertain right now? Are you scared? Is there a major issue in your life that's just terrifying? Or are there minor things in your life that scare you? Are you just captured by fear? Uh, You're afraid of driving on the freeway because the 101's all chewed up. I mean, are there little things, big things, whatever? Jesus says, I am here with you. We got to focus on him. We have to see him. He says, do not be afraid. It is I. And actually, the literal translation of that is he's saying, I am. Which doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but to a Jew, it would have meant a lot. You see, uh, way back in the beginning of the Bible, there's a story of a guy named Moses. And Moses was this really famous guy in the Jewish tradition. He was one of their key leaders. And God's people were in slavery to Egypt for 400 years. And Moses is a shepherd, and he's tending his sheep, and this bush catches on fire. And Moses is a little freaked out. And he starts having this conversation and finds out the bush that's on fire is actually God. God's speaking through this burning bush. And he says, Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful person in the known world, and you're going to tell him, let my people go. Let your slaves go. Let the source of your uh, economic engine go. And, And Moses is scared. He said, well, if I go to the people, who should I say is sending me? Because in Egypt, there were a ton of gods. He says, who should I say is sending me? And God says to him, tell the people I am is sending you. And so when Jesus walks out on this water and he says, I am, it brings up all these memories for them. This is God. This is the God that delivered his people from their slavery in Egypt. This is the God who was with them even when they were hurting. This is God. I don't have to be afraid. I am is with me. When we walk through this journey and we get scared, we have to remember two things that He is God, and that he is with us and delivering us and taking care of us. He's the rescuer of his people. When things come up in your life that cause you fear or worry or anxiety, the key is to not let them block your view of God. These guys got scared because they couldn't see Jesus. All they saw was the waves, and they thought he was a ghost. The key is that we can't let it block our view. If it blocks our view of God, we're sunk. That's funny because they're in a boat. I don't know if you caught that or not. (laughs) Didn't work first service either. (laughs) You see, Jesus and fear can't occupy the same space at the same time. And so when we're afraid, we have to ask, where is Jesus? We need to put our focus on Jesus. Where is he in this fear? Where is he in this moment that I'm terrified, that I feel totally alone? Because when we begin to see him, we know that he's with us, the fear begins to fade away. And we can begin to live out the life of love that God calls us to. Fear freezes us up. God opens us up to move to walk, to step out. Uh, I don't know if I continued that story. I think he says there in uh, verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter says, tell me to come to you on the water. And he replies, come on, let's do this. Jesus says, let's go. That's what he says. He says, come on, come on, people. Let's do this. Let's rally. Let's go. I like Peter because Peter says things a lot. He doesn't always mean it, but he's just kind of impetuous. He just goes for it. And and sometimes I don't think it turns out the way he thought. And I do that a lot. When I was uh, just married, spent the summer in Oakland. I've told some of you guys this story with six college students and my wife and a chihuahua in a two-bedroom apartment. That was our living. We were living and working in the inner city. uh, And it was this really amazing time and this really hard time. But one of the things that was unique about our time is we were trying to live like the people in the city lived. And so each person on that team, the eight of us, each got $20 dollars To spend on food and laundry for the whole week. And so we pooled our money together, and we would decide what are we going to buy as a community? What kind of food are we going to have? What are we going to spend our money on? And every week we had a little extra money, and so I said, you know what? I was the pastor. I was the leader of this group. I said, let's buy ice cream because I really like ice cream, and I thought this is just a great thing. We have a little extra money. We'll buy that big tub of Neapolitan, and if you like chocolate, you have your chocolate, you have your vanilla, whatever. I'm a strawberry guy, so I have my strawberry. Uh, And for a few weeks we did it, and then one week we were having this team meeting and the group said to me, uh, I don't think the kids in our community get ice cream every night, but we have ice cream every night. So maybe since this is a non-essential, we should just stop buying ice cream. And so I fired back because um, there were a number of coffee drinkers there, not the least of which was me. I love coffee. Uh, I do all the time. Uh, I, think, I think it's uh, the sweet nectar of the Lord. I think it's a, a personal gift to me and a gift to you, as long as it doesn't control you. Uh, but I really enjoy coffee. So I said to them— well, hey, you know what? I don't think they drink coffee either, so let's just get rid of coffee too. Thinking they would say, oh, you're right, that's crazy. We shouldn't just get rid of all of our non-essentials just because they don't have it. The team looked at me and said, you're right, we should get rid of coffee too. (laughs) So then I had no coffee and no ice cream. It was really, it was a a tough learning experience for me that sometimes when I open my mouth, uh, people are going to respond the way that I don't think they will. Peter says, if it's you, Lord... Let me walk out of the boat and come to you on the water. I can't imagine that Peter really thought that would happen. You thought I was going to step off. I'm not. Because he's not calling me off the platform right now. No one had ever done that. The Bible says that God did it, that God kind of cruised over the face of the waters when he was creating all the world, but no person had ever done it. And Jesus is out there. And I think that Peter's thinking, Jesus is going to say to me, hey, way to go, Peter. I really like your faith. You prayed this big prayer. You said, you know what? I'll come to you if you really want me to. And I thought he'd think he's going to come and say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I just like that you said you would do it. But he does He says, come on then. Get out here. The water's great. Oh my gosh. All of a sudden, the fear factor comes back in. See, oftentimes I think we say, God, do something big in my life. Use me for something that makes a difference. Use me to do something in the world and we kind of we hope that Jesus is going to say, you know what? I like your heart. I like that prayer. That really, that is close to me. And I really like that. But he does not He says, okay, let's go. Let's do it. If you pray to God, God, use me for something amazing. Use me for something transformational. Show me how to love in a self-sacrificing way that actually puts the needs of other people in front of myself. He will say, come on then, let's get out of the boat. But we think he's going to say, no, I just really like your faith. That's really nice. That's not the God we serve, you guys. The God we serve says, I walked down in the earth and I loved people and I got dirty and it was scary, but I did it. Now come and do it too. And it leaves us with, a, with the thought like, what did I just ask? I don't know if I can do this. What are people going to think about me if I love like Jesus loved? If I love my coworkers or, or my family or the people on the street? What, what am I going to do? What are they going to think? Is it going to be safe? Man, it's going to cost a lot of time. It's going to cost a lot of money. It's going to use a lot of my resources. Are my kids going to be okay? I'm going to tell a story about a family with two young kids who's living this kind of thing out right now. They're part of our church, and it just inspires me. Because when I think about going to do something that's risky, risky love, I think I'll do it myself, but I don't want my wife doing it. I don't want my daughter doing it because it's dangerous for them, and my job is to protect them. But there's some level where God says it's going to be dangerous, so get ready and find me. Walk with me. Let me guide you on the journey. Verse 29 says, Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and came towards Jesus. By the way, have you ever tried when you were a kid or even a young adult walking on water? Did anyone ever read the story and think, well, I want to try it? No, I'm the only one? Seriously? I would run. I would run to the pool and I would just jump. And i make like one step and think, I'm doing it. And then right in. That's just a side note. If you've never tried it, summer's coming. Uh, if it works, please tell me. Uh, because you'll be preaching and I will come sit down there. So he gets out of the boat, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached his hand and caught him and pulled him up. Peter got out of the boat, and he was doing good. He was walking towards Jesus, and then he saw the wind, and he saw the rain, and he saw the waves, and he took his focus off of Jesus and onto the things that scared him, and immediately he began to sink. What are the things that you're focusing on instead of God that are really scaring you right now? They could be big things. They could be small things. If it's scaring you, it's taking you out of the game. If you have anxiety about it, if it's keeping you up at night, it's taking you out of the game. What are the things you're focusing on? I gave you some space there. You can just write them down. If you write big, go ahead. Write big. If you have a lot, write small. Write it down. What are the things that are scaring you right now? And then the question we need to ask Are you crying out to God when fear creeps in, or are you letting it take root in your life? Peter, God love him, steps out of the boat. He's got his eyes focused on Jesus. He's walking on water. This is an amazing thing. He's doing it. No person has ever done this before. The greatest prophets never did it. The priests never did it. He's walking on the water. And then all of a sudden he sees the waves, and he sees the wind, and he begins to sink. But immediately he cries out to Jesus, save me when you're walking this life with God, when you're living this kind of love that just transforms, that's risky, there are going to be times when you look around and it gets really scary. And that's okay. That's normal. But the question is, what do we do with it? Do we then cry out to God, God save me and let him come and pull us back up? Or do we sink? Because if we let fear take root, we begin to sink. I want to leave you with a story of a family that has inspired me recently. They uh, are part of our community. They're a young family with two young kids. And they started serving over at Lucchesi, uh doing the food distribution on Tuesday night. We had talked about that a little bit. They were some of the front runners to do this. They take their kids over and their kids are playing with the kids there. And if you're not familiar with it, basically, they're giving food out to people who wouldn't otherwise have food. Low-income families, families who don't have a whole lot of, of resources. And Thanksgiving was coming up. And this family's plan was to go be with their extended family, which is what we do on Thanksgiving, right? It's a family holiday. You go to be with your family. But they sensed God saying, you know what? Why don't you invite some of these families over to your house and have Thanksgiving? These families have never had Thanksgiving. And without you, they won't ever have Thanksgiving. They don't have the money for a turkey and these other things. Invite them to your house. So this family started talking. They went home and they were engaging with each other. And they acknowledged the fear. Our family is not going to understand this. Our family's going to be angry at us. They could put a wedge in between them. We don't really know these families all that well. What if we invite them over to our house and it's awkward or or worse? But they decided to do it. They said, you know what? We see Jesus loving in amazing radical ways, ways that are self-sacrificing and we want to love like he loved. And so they decided to do it. They invited these families over and you know what? Their extended family didn't understand and they were upset and they're still working through it with their family. They had Christmas together and things are going good but people aren't going to understand when we love like Jesus loves because it doesn't make a lot of sense. Why are you having these families over who you don't even know just to give them a Thanksgiving when you could be with our family? We want to see our grandkids. We want to see our cousins. It's not going to make a lot of sense, but we have to know that and we have to walk out in it anyway. So Thanksgiving Day comes and the families are coming over and they had invited a single person over to the house and she was driving over there and she saw a guy walking, kind of roaming the streets looking for somewhere to eat. Some random guy. So she pulls over and says, hey, uh, I know this place where this family's having Thanksgiving dinner. Why don't you hop in the car and we'll go over there together? Okay, a little, a little freaky. Uh, and he says, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great plan. And so he gets in the car and shows up at the front door. And then the family has to go through this fear question again. Who is this guy? My wife told me, don't say maybe he's a murderer because that'll freak everybody out. But maybe he's a murderer. Who knows? This guy's crazy. He could be anybody. But the family says, no, we want to love him. Jesus took risks to love people. We want to take a risk to love this man. And so they invite him into their house. And here's the result of it. Some of the family said, we've never experienced love like this before. We've never had Thanksgiving. We didn't know that this is what it meant to follow God. We like this God that you're serving. We want to know him more. The man who came into the house, come to find out, he lives in Southern California and uh, works for a big company in LA. And the, the husband of the family that invited them all in runs his own business. And so they're talking back and forth. And now the big company in LA and this husband's business are in negotiations for the company to become a big client of the husband's. And so the family was blessed as they served God. This man was blessed because he got to have Thanksgiving with a family. These couples, these families that they met at Lucchese Center were blessed because they had someone love them and pour out love on them in a tangible way that was costing them. But they experienced God. That's what I'm talking about with risk-taking. I'm not talking about bungee jumping or motorcycle riding. As fun of those things are. Uh, and we will do some bungee jumping and motorcycle driving at some point, in heaven maybe. Uh, I'm talking about really loving. I mean, loving till it hurts. Loving when it's uncomfortable. Loving when it's scary. That's the kind of love that Jesus calls us to, and it has no space for fear. Level four love is a love that's self-sacrificing. It's a risky love, and so I want to ask, how do we respond to this? Uh, One way you can respond is by saying, you know what, I'm going to face one fear in my life by doing something that this fear would have previously kept me from doing. I don't know what it is. Maybe you've been hurt in the past and you can't trust people. Uh, Maybe you're just terrified of something God's calling you to do and you know it, but you can't do it. Maybe there's fear of your families getting hurt and their safety and you need to let that go. Do one thing this week that you wouldn't do because of fear and see God work. I can't promise it's going to turn out perfectly. I can't promise it'll be safe. But that's the kind of life that God calls you to. It's a risky love. It's a love that says, you know what? The worst thing the world can do is kill me, but I know where I'm going even if I die. I know this is a real message of hope. I know you're excited about that. The worst the world can do is kill me. Amen, brother. Let's go. This is great. But the truth is, that is the worst the world can do. And you know what? Your time on earth is limited anyway. Wouldn't you rather serve the king of kings while you're here, and then go to be with him in eternity, whenever that is? That's why the apostle Paul says crazy things to us, like to live is to engage like Christ engaged, and to die would be even better. He got it. He knew that that there was nothing more important in life than experiencing God and loving people like God did. And even when he dies, it's going to be even better. Do you believe that eternity will be even better with God as we experience time with him the second thing you can do is if you've never come into a relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to consider doing something extremely risky, which is give your life to Christ today. Come into a relationship with him. Uh, I'm not saying you know everything about God because you don't. I don't. We never will decide of eternity. God is so big and so vast and so loving that we can't know him completely. But do you know his essence enough that you could give yourself to him completely today? Say, whatever you're leading, whatever you're guiding, I want to do that. If that's you, I want you to mark that box. And actually, I want you guys all to pull out your Connect cards and mark down what you're doing on your Connect card so our prayer teams can pray for you. It says, I want to apply the sermon this way. Just pull it out right now and mark it down. Drop it in the basket later because I want to pray for you this week and our prayer team wants to pray for you this week. We want to connect you to God. We want to see God do amazing things. And now I'm going to pray that God actually puts you in risky love situations this week. And I want to hear some stories about how he's doing it when we come back together. So let's pray. Lord, we, God, we want to love like you loved Uh, we want to do the things we see you doing. We want to experience the life that you lived. Would you help us to experience your love in a way that it actually uh, overshadows fear? Would you help us to focus on you in a way that these other things begin to fade out? And would you help us to love like you loved? Would you draw us into a deep relationship with you? Would you transform and change people's lives through us? We pray these things in your name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message.